And we're now going to have our Bible reading. Reading from Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2. And we'll begin at verse 1. Remembering that last week we found that we have Jesus as our champion, this week our quest is for a king. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you, Haley. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. And let me welcome you to the week before Christmas. Merry Christmas. And particularly if you're a visitor with us, it's great to have you here. Just where I was sitting, I met Megan. She's come down from Bundaberg to meet her family. So she's a little bit disappointed, not meeting her family, but disappointed that it might mean you have to stay longer than you anticipated. Well, it's great to have you with us today. Um, We are on our Christmas quest um, over the next number of talks, um, both last week, this week, and across Christmas, we're exploring how the Christmas story is a quest. It's a quest for a champion. We looked at that last week and this week, a quest for a king. We just read a story where the Magi, some wise men from the east, go on a quest. They go over mountains following a star to find the one who has been born king of the Jews. So we're going to go back through this story and, and kind of see this quest through the eyes and being in the shoes of these wise men. And it's a hard story to hear at this time of year because it's so well known. And the imagery that we get uh, is everywhere. Nearly every second Christmas card has the wise men on it. And it just can easily come, become kind of the background noise to Christmas, just part of the decorations. And we've got a lot of foreground noise, don't we? It's a busy week, there's life, there's issues. So it can be a hard story to hear. 
So today, our challenge is to go back through it. I'll go back through it with you a little bit more slowly so that we see what response we have to the claim that the great king, the king of the world, has been born. So there's two sort of sets of characters in this story. The Magi, who respond positively. We follow them all the way to worshipping Jesus. And then there's another character, Herod, and all the officials around him who respond negatively. So that's how this story works as we read it, even though we're familiar. We're meant to see who we align most with. So is it the wise men or is it Herod? So let's have a look at the... Let me read the first three verses for you. Um, You can put the first slide up. Thanks, Leah. First three verses, open your Bible. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When the king Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem were disturbed with him. So just getting a little bit of a profile on the characters that were introduced to here. First, the Magi. They're, they're kind of strange people. Sometimes we talk about them as three kings. I'm not really sure where that's come into the Christmas tradition because nothing in the, the Bible stories or any other material around the Bible stories speak of there being three kings. We don't even know if there were three people, three wise people. And we call them wise people because the word magi is an ancient word for sort of magician, but not like our party magicians here in Australia, more like the sort of the dark arts, astrologists type of magicians that were associated with eastern lands, ancient eastern lands like Persia and Babylon, where their whole psyche, the whole community's psyche was to interpret life and the world and get guidance by looking to the stars. And so that's probably what's going on here. The Magi have looked up doing their normal practices, looked to the stars and noticed that a star, a new star has appeared. Now, some of our ancient texts that describe what these Persian magicians believed is that it was, it was, it was commonly held that if, if a new star appeared in the sky it most likely indicated that someone very important had been born. Maybe a king, maybe even a god-like king. So from their worldview, they've kind of been triggered. Well, let's go on a search. How much they knew of the promises uh, of, you know, to, to the Jews specifically of a king, we're not sure. But there is a suggestion even here that they knew something of that. Because as they turn up, the question they ask is, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And just at this point, it's, it's worth noting that even though they belong to a different sort of worldview and religion, this story is showing us that for whatever reason, God in his kindness is getting their attention. God does that in our life, is wherever we're at, Because he chases after people, he will get their attention somehow, somewhere. And these guys, the Magi, end up 
on a quest to find out where this one who is born king of the Jews is. And off they go. The next person that we meet in this story is Herod. And it's really underlined that the whole setting of this quest is at a time when there is King Herod. You'll see that in verse 1 it says that Jesus was born during the time of King Herod. And the response that King Herod has to hearing that a king has been born is that he is disturbed. The word is, is kind of trying to convey he's anxious and agitated. So he's not sort of wowed, disturbed, but more panicking and unnerved by all this. In fact, all of Jerusalem, probably all the leadership in Jerusalem are with Herod, and they hear this news and they're agitated and deeply unnerved by it. Now, we're a little bit far removed from this story, but if we were people around the time uh, or, or immediately after hearing this story told, we would resonate straight away with this King Herod, what that meant, what it meant to live in the time of King Herod. For us, as I say, we're so far removed now that sometimes it's just a detail that he existed. But King Herod was a monstrous man. He was not even a Jew, and yet he installed himself as king of the Jews. Imagine being one of the people of the Jewish nation, and you... You looked forward to your king coming. It always had been promised to be a king of the Jews. But you had been going through all these times where you, know, you didn't have self-rule. You weren't uh, leading yourself as a nation. And then you get this imposter, this illegitimate person coming and taking the throne. So I said he's not a Jew. He was the, an Edomite, which is related to Edom. And Edom, if you go back through the Old Testament, is a an arch enemy brother of the Jewish people. So they're seeing this person who historically belongs to a group of people who have always been antagonistic and a problem to the Jews, not only take rulership of them, but claim it in a way where he says, I am the king of the Jews. You can imagine how disgusted they felt. But even worse than that is he was monstrous in his behaviour. Um, we have lots of material around, around the Bible in this story about King Herod. And one of the ways that he came to power was he endeared himself. He was a wealthy, belonged to a wealthy family. He endeared himself to the Roman generals who were swooping through the area trying to expand the Roman kingdom. And so he sold out not only his people but his Jewish brothers in order to get a position. He helped the Romans come in and take control of God's prized city, Jerusalem. And then, so you can imagine how they felt, that they've been sold out. And then they honoured, this is the Romans, they honoured King Herod and said, well, well, we'll install you as king over this area. And from that point on, he oppressed the Jewish people under him in order to turn Jerusalem into this fantastic Roman-looking city. He, he, he's known for you know, re, rebuilding the Jewish temple. 
that was great, but he did it off the backs of making his Jewish brothers slaves. He oppressively taxed them. He was a cruel, cruel man. And to live under his regime would have been awful. This is the time of King Herod. Further material we have even says that he was a paranoid leader, that he, would, he killed his wife because he did end up marrying a Jewish woman. And then he panicked because he's not Jewish and she's Jewish and their kids are Jewish. Maybe the kids could usurp him. So he kills his wife and kills his own kids to stop them taking the throne. This is the man, Herod, and he's ruling at the time when in contrast, look at this, verse 2, one who has been born king of the Jews appears. And there's a contrast there that Matthew the writer is bringing out. Herod is illegitimate, even though he's proclaimed as king of the Jews, and now one who is born, born from birth in the position of king of the Jews appears. And we didn't read on with the rest of the story, but we do see later on, you can skip across to verse 16, that uh, in the end, Herod wants to kill all the babies around the vicinity of Bethlehem in order to get rid of this legitimate king. So that's what it means for King Herod to hear of this news in verse 3 and be disturbed. So that's the setting, that the king... Jesus is born into a world where there's a clash of kingdoms and to live under a clash of kingdoms, to be people under that, is an awful experience. There's war, you get hurt, you get oppressed. It's terrible. I've got a picture here that's been done by Leonardo da Vinci uh, back in the 1500s and this is called the Adoration of the Magi. Apparently, it's an unfinished picture. Um, they've, they can see that it's unfinished. And he was, he was commissioned by monks to, to do this. But then he moved to Milan and got into other projects. But this has been discovered. And, and lots of people in the artistic world love it because it's unfinished. So it's open to interpretation. And, and they've also got technology where they can see that there's layers underneath and all the different iterations that he had. But um, as you can see, um, this captures something of this story. So just have a talk to the person next to you in a soft voice because we don't want to yell at one another. Just um, talk to the person next to you and tell them what sort of things you see in the picture. Do a little bit of interpretation. Okay, well, that was an interesting exercise for me to observe you guys. You see everyone's head sort of going on the side. That's what we do when we interpret art. It's like, oh, what else will I see? <laughs> and then everyone got louder. There was a few ahas. All right, we'll come back to that picture. But that picture does capture something of the world that Jesus is born into, a ravaged world. 
Let's look at the next section of the story from verse 4. Um, and we see a quote. You can put the next slide up, Leah. Yeah. Uh, about the type of ruler that is born. So the next part of the story has King Herod calling together all the religious folk that might know some more information about this legitimate king that is born. And they reply, well, in the prophets, uh, it says that he'll be born in Bethlehem. And you'll see in the quote in verse 6 that they don't just, the quote doesn't stop at just Bethlehem. It doesn't just give a geographical location of where the king will be born but goes on to underline what type of king will be born. He will be a shepherd who will rule his people. The quote implicitly contrasts this leader to be born with Herod. Herod's a monster and this leader to be born will be a shepherd. I've got more of the quote which is taken from Micah 5 up here. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Next one. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. The quote highlights the type of leader that is to be born. He is a shepherd and he'll create security and peace for his people. And not just regionally, but to the ends of the earth. Now at this point, you... That sounds great for all of us humans who have lived under human rulers. It sounds wonderful, but there's a little bit of scepticism. How can a how can a human ruler be so great and have the capacity to rule the entire world? All of us look at our leaders, and we know that down through history, there's been monsters like Herod that keep repeating themselves all through history. They're humans, and sometimes they start out good, but when they get the power, they turn into abusive monsters. Even the leaders that we have in Australia, while I, I don't think they're in the category or on the spectrum of monsters at all, they're relative to a lot of leaders in history. They are very, very good, aren't they? But they're only human, and we see that they have limitations, that they aren't perfect all the time. They don't get everything right. And even then, they only rule for Australia, right? Or the state. They, they sometimes talk about what they'd like to contribute to the world stage, but they don't have the power to do it. When you, when you sit back and you analyse the type of king and leader that we need in the world, you need something extraordinary. And this is what... This quote says, this king that comes is going to be of a quality and character that surpasses every other human leader that we have experienced. So if you just wind back, Leah, one slide. We see there that the type of leader, even as he comes in human form, rises up through the tribe of Judah, his origins are from 
old, from ancient times. Now, we don't have time today to go through many of the Old Testament prophecies about this king, but regularly enough, the king is described as a human that is invested with all the glory and power and majesty of God himself. So much so that if you were just reading the Old Testament, you you keep asking the question, is this God that's actually going to come? Or is it just a human super endowed by God? But then at times the Old Testament will even say, yes, he is God. And so if you want a little bit of Christmas reading this afternoon, read Isaiah 10, where this shepherd, a human, will have the government upon his shoulders and will be called Wonderful, Mighty Counselor, Almighty God. The king that is expected to come is all-powerful because he is God. And when we think about it, that's the type of king we need, right? When you look at, look at COVID, which has disappeared again, um, we've had good strategies in place. We thought that we'd most likely knocked it on its head, but surprising even for our leaders, it's back and it's changing things again. Where do you get a leader that has all the power to be able to handle the world's problems and deal with it? You start thinking you need a God. You need the category of God to be this leader to deal with it. And not only that, any time you think of a human-only leader, you think the trouble is if you most of the time when they have power, they become corrupt and abusive, how do you get someone who is all-powerful but also all good and all wise? That's the level of king we need for the world's problems. Again, a bit of thinking drives us back to thinking that could only be God. Only God has the ability to be all-powerful, all-wise and all good. And he's said in contrast to Herod here, who, did I, did I say before that Herod, you know, he was disgusting, he killed his kids, that Caesar Augustus, we have a quote from Caesar Augustus where he writes, it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than his own children. You know, that's the contrast. A leader who is all good all the time with all their power against corrupt, powerful people who go on to abuse the people they're meant to lead. I saw that we're singing the song soon um, called Mary, Did You Know? Funnily enough, that song has been in my head all week. Earworm, have you heard of earworm? It's the technical term for when a song just gets stuck in your head and usually it's just one line from a song. I, I for whatever reason, was listening to it because we've got Christmas carols in the house at the moment and I've, I've woken up several times in the morning with the, the lines, Mary, did you know? And there's this wonderful line in Mary, did you know? Where it says, Mary... So go back to the picture. Put the picture up. Mary, did you know that the little baby whom you kiss, when you kiss him, you kiss the face of God? 
That's the Christmas story that not just a human baby, that baby is God. Did you know that when you kiss the face of Jesus, you kiss the face of God? And before I move on to the final section of the story, it's worth pointing out that in Matthew's narrative here, we get kind of one chapter on this baby story. And then if you go to chapter 3, the narrative of the gospel cuts to Jesus' adult life. So in the baby narrative, we see this supernatural movement of God where he protects the baby from this evil king, Herod, protects his life. But then the narrative cuts to Jesus as an adult, where Jesus, as an adult, walks all the way to Jerusalem saying, I will face another evil king, the Romans, the Jewish leadership, and there I will die. Jesus, this baby grows up deliberately on a life heading towards his own death. And along the way, he says to those who will listen, I am the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. So good is this leader that he will even lay down his life for his sheep. And he also explains along the way that his death, his laying down of his life will be a ransom for many. So good is this type of leadership, this type of king, that our most desperate plight, our most desperate need as people under him, the removing of our sin to be restored in resurrection to a new world, this king will provide that for us. He will provide the ultimate vaccine that we need, the vaccine that cures us from sin and the judgment that we deserve because of sin. Jesus' blood is our vaccine and Jesus is the leader who lays down his life to provide that vaccine for his community. Again, in that song, um, Mary, Did You Know, another great line is, Mary, did you know that the baby you delivered will soon deliver you? We're going to sing that song, aren't we? Awesome. So you're going to have to sing those lines and you're going to own them so much more. All right, on to the final part of the story. Uh, In verse 7 onwards, we see the Herod called the Magi secretly. Now, again, if we're hearing this for the first time, we know that um, if Herod's doing something secretly, it's probably him up to his tyrannical tricks again. Um, He makes out that he wants to go and worship them, worship him, worship Jesus. But then in verse 9, we see that the Magi go on their way and go to worship the king. Again, there's another contrast here. The contrast is the Magi, they're from the far-flung east, caught up in other things, and yet they've heard that the king of the world has been born and they've acted on that and thought, well, let's go on a search for him. And they've come from thousands of kilometres away. And Herod, who knows about all this stuff, is eight kilometres away. So Jerusalem to Bethlehem is eight kilometres, half a day's walk. Not even that, really, is it? (laughs) 
So, and he doesn't even move. There's a contrast there. And it sets us up for the final part of this story that there are two contrasting responses that take place to the news that the king of the world has been born. So I've got a table that we can put up here that bring out these contrasts. So first we've seen that the Magi actually go, um, and that might, that might be where you're at. Um, you might not consider yourself a Christian, but you find yourself here today. Um, how has God got your attention? What, what, how did you even end up here? You know, God kindly is getting everyone's attention somehow, somewhere, in order to encourage you to find out more. This is the, the claim is that the king of the universe, God himself, has been born. Will you at least find out more? And we here at our church have a course called the Life Course. Um, in your welcome pack, you'll hear about that. Please, please use that course as a, a chance to go on your own personal quest. Or even earlier, because that's coming up in the new year, even earlier, talk to me today anyone here that you know or feel comfortable with um, and we can tell you more and it might be you've just got to take the first steps on the quest to find out more of this great claim but in here from verse 9 we see that as the star stops over where the child was born the magi in contrast to Herod bow down and worship so that's verse 11 we see that they worship him. They open up their treasures and give. And then after being warned in a dream, they don't go back to Herod despite what he requested. They follow God's warning. And they go back to their country by another route, presumably to tell everyone about what they've heard. So this is the contrast that we see that we can finish on we see that for those who recognise that Jesus is their king, they worship him. They worship him. And what is worship? It's to actually bow down and say, you are my king. And that flows out in lots of different actions. The reason we as Christians meet together is to display that we worship Jesus the king. That wonderful Handel's Messiah and the Hallelujah Chorus, which some of the TV programs with their carols will do the big choral, um, uh, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. I love that because that's what's happening when we gather together publicly. We are like a chorus of people that actually shout out to the world that Jesus is King. That's what worship is. Worship is to proclaim him, not just to yourself, but to the world, as your king. And that flows on in the things that you do, the fact that we give time and space to bow down and proclaim Jesus as king. So even as we think about this very busy Christmas week that is coming up, have a think about how you can make time and space in your life where it's displayed both individually to you and your family and publicly to the world 
that Jesus is your king and you worship him. All the way through from talking to him each day, reading his word, the king's word, gathering together with churches, if you're here or if you're traveling elsewhere, in order to worship Jesus as king. In contrast, we see that Herod worships himself. Um, if we were to read on the story, um, there's not much more said about Herod. He, he does do this terrible massacre in Bethlehem. And then, despite all the glory that he thought he had, it just says he died. That's it. Full stop. He died. You know, Herod means hero. <laughs> he named himself hero. That's what worshipping yourself is, making yourself the hero, the centre of everything. The next response that we see is that the Magi, because he is king of kings, lord of lords, they give. And they give from their most precious wealth. They give to honour Jesus as king. Um, And that's a real tangible sign so that it's more than just something you say. Your whole life, your assets, your energy, your time, your passions gets given over to Jesus. And so even this week, can we think about how how can you, when we're busy and we're feeling the cost everywhere, how do we display that we worship Jesus through our assets, time and passion, even in one of the most biggest, busiest weeks of of our life? In contrast, we see Herod takes. He just takes from... Others even takes people's lives. Uh, In many ways, Christmas can fall into one big taking, that you just consume other people for your own benefits. Um, I reckon it's a... Think about Christmas parties. Just even the way that we indulge in the moment can flush out something that might be going on for us, that we just, we're just takers, we consume. It's, it's a, a trap here in Australia. We're consumers and Christmas is all about taking and consuming and getting more. How can you flip that on its head in order to worship Jesus? And then lastly, we see that the Magi are warned and they respond by listening to God's voice. And again, Christmas is the season where we set up ourselves for next year and we start thinking about next year and we reminisce about the year gone past. Let this week be a week where we go, how can I listen clearly to God? What does that mean? In the busyness of Christmas, how will I stop and listen to God? Simply opening up. The Bible, of course. But even more than that, as you reflect on your year, have there been things that you have heard from God's voice and he's told you to stop doing something or start doing something, to change something, and you've been resistant? Listening means actually hearing God's warning on that. It's a kind warning. Stop doing it because this is the outcome. God is kind, listening and changing direction, just like the Magi. What is, what do you need to, how do you set yourself up for the year ahead so that you are regularly listening to God? 
opening yourself up to hear his voice. So there we have it, a very common Christmas story that can easily fade into the background of Christmas decorations. But just slowing down again, I know for me, I hear the response that is called for. And you you will find yourself today aligning yourself with one of the two sets of characters. Um, The Magi who worship Jesus as king, or Herod and the political leadership who worship themselves. And if you're not sure where you stand, look at some of the other things. Look at your life. Are you a taker? Or a giver, um, you know, more or less. Do you listen or do you ignore? These can be signs as to what response you actually are engaging in. So it's a call for the right response, but this story, slowing down again, tests us to what we might actually be, or how we are actually responding right now. Let's pray and then sing that wonderful song, Mary, Did You Know? Heavenly Father, God of the universe, thank you so much for still coming to rescue us from sin and this dark world. And thank you, Lord, for humbling yourself and becoming a human in order to pay humanity's debt in sin, to provide the vaccine for our sin through Jesus' blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a shepherd king, all-powerful, all-wise, and all-good, and in your wisdom and power laid down your life for us, your sheep, to be resurrected so that all things are new. And we think again of that line from the song, Mary, did you know that your baby would make all things new? That when... We kiss the face of the baby. We kiss the face of God. Praise you. Amen.